Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. and queens, angels and saints, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of those days where I think about the Michael Jackson song, Time Waits for No One, <laughs> you know, just out and about and you lose track. But anyway, welcome to G's Power Hour, and thank you for being with us on this Friday. Hope you're doing well. So as I mentioned, if you were listening yesterday, we had to switch some schedules around um, Like I said, you know, time will catch up with you, and whether or not you're ready for it, it's there, and you might miss your slot. So we weren't kind of ready to do the Wellness Wednesday like we wanted to this this past Wednesday. So we actually gone ahead and doing it today because wellness doesn't necessarily wait for Wednesday. Wellness is every day. We've got to talk about it. So today we are pleased to welcome back. Dr. Taiwan Tillman to get us caught up on health stuff. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Lady G. I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, quite well. And uh, like I said, just happy it's Friday, although, you know, I wait for Friday, but it's not like, don't rush it, don't rush it. You know, <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> anyway, you know, one of the things that we're talking about, off and on this month now. We started actually last month, but uh, this week in Orange County, Florida, the kids went back to school in some of the other counties. They've gone back to school or are going back to school, and then other parts of the country will eventually join in. Some have the uh, blessing of starting after Labor Day. But one of the things you kind of have to prepare for, whether or not, you know, it's school or some other thing, is um, getting, you know, you may be traveling too, getting immunized. Um, or vaccinated. So I guess one of the questions that I had was, to me, the terms are used interchangeably, and I wanted to maybe clarify and say, okay, what is a vaccination? What is an immunization? What, why am I confused? Well, I think um, probably the first thing we should probably do then is define um, exactly what those terms are, right? Yes, sir. So, and I, I think um, there is a lot of, obviously there's been a lot of political opinions about vaccines over the past few years after COVID and everything else. And, um, you know, so I think it's very important to sort of define the things that we're talking about and make sure that everyone understands exactly what, you know, some of these terms mean. Because part of the problem with the um, – all of the uh, politicization of uh, vaccines and COVID and is misunderstanding of the general public about what some of the terms mean and how some of these things work. And so that's why I think it's very important as we start this conversation that we sort of um, understand exactly what everything means. And so, you know, people will use vaccination and immunization sort of interchangeably, and that's because they are very close related. They're really not different things. It's um, a vaccine is basically a vaccination is basically when you administer somebody a vaccine that's targeted to produce protection against a specific illness, typically an infectious illness. And uh, immunization is basically the process where that by where that person becomes immune to whatever that illness is after having received a vaccine. So you know you can sort of use them interchangeably in general conversation, but medically they do have different uh, connotations, but essentially, you know, a vaccine is actual vaccination is actual 
actually giving the vaccine, whereas immunization is the patient's body becoming immune to whatever disease you're targeting. And so going in that line, just sort of talking about what the details are. So what exactly is a vaccine? So what a vaccine is, is it is a biological preparation that has been prepared specifically to provide protection or prevent infection from a certain illness, whether it's most of the time we're talking about infectious illnesses, but there are also vaccines against cancer cells. And uh, basically, once someone gets a vaccine, they develop a type of immunity. The body, body develops a type of immunity to whatever the vaccine was designed to target. And the way that works is a vaccine causes the body to create antibodies. And so the other two terms that we really need to understand is antibody and antigen. So a, a vaccine is basically an antigen. What an antigen is, is it's a substance that triggers the body to create a robust immune response to, pay, to basically create antibodies. And so the antigen triggers the body. The body's immune response recognizes that antigen as a foreign body and then starts to make antibodies to basically attack or destroy the antigen. And so what's an antibody? An antibody is a protein that the body then makes in response to the antigen to then help to eliminate the antigen. So vaccine is basically an antigen. The vaccine contains the antigen. And so when you get the vaccine, your body recognizes whatever is in the vaccine as a foreign body, and then it creates antibodies that then attack the vaccine, that can then attack what the vaccine is mimicking. So basically the only thing a vaccine does is a vaccine basically imitates an infection, not a real infection in most cases, but imitates an infection, and then the body revs up its natural immune responses so that the person does become in contact with the real infection, it can be eliminated and you're basically immune from it. Okay, so I have a couple of questions down that line. Um, first of all, um, when, for, for children, for example, because like I said, we're talking about back to school, when is it or how is it determined that at certain ages you need to get this type of vaccine or that type of vaccine? And what makes it where you have to repeat the process? Like I think a lot of us think or at least hope that some of these things, like, for example, let's say the flu vaccine, if you get one point, a lot of us thought it was kind of one and done. So mm-hmm. when, when, I guess I should say when or what diseases determine whether or not you have to, it's a one and done type of thing or whether or not you have to get it repeated, and at what ages do you start? I know I've thrown a lot in there, but I'm sure you exactly. So. <laughs> well, it was <laughs> What you're asking sounds like a very simple question, but in actuality has a very complex answer. But let's start with the ages. So most of the time when you look at um, what ages um, individuals should have certain vaccines, um, the vaccine schedule, so forth and so forth, is based on several things. The vaccine schedule is based on the science of how they, when patients get a vaccine, how long they maintain that immunity um, as far as if they need a booster in the future. As far as if you need one or two shots, that's based on how well the body has, how robust their immune response is from just one shot or whether or not they need a second shot. Uh, Very often that's determined by what type of vaccine it is. So really quickly without getting too deep into the science, um, there are certain different types of vaccines. So the first vaccine was made around 1800. That was a smallpox vaccine. And that vaccine The smallpox vaccine was actually prepared from a similar vaccine called the cowpox, I mean, from a similar virus called the cowpox. And the cowpox infection would be a very mild infection, whereas smallpox was a very severe infection. And so what they did was they took the cowpox and basically made a vaccine from cowpox, administered other patients, and protected them from smallpox. So that was a live virus that they were being administered. The thing about live virus vaccines is live virus vaccines can give you some, sometimes a low-level infection, but live virus vaccines also will give you lifetime immunity. And so there's never free lunch in medicine. So 
the, vi- the vaccine that's more likely to actually give you the virus or the infection at some lower level is the one that will give you lifelong immunity. Now, you talk about other types of vaccines. They can be made from just a small portion of the virus. They can be made from a completely dead copy of the virus, or they can be made from a bit of the genetic material of the virus, like the mRNA vaccines, and that's the recent COVID vaccines. And so those do not give you lifetime immunity. So those are the types of vaccines that are, number one, um, very easy to produce, and number two, less likely to get you sick, and that's most vaccines that we have now. And so those often will require a repeat dose later, or they will require a booster dose later. And so they don't provide lifetime immunity. They can, you can monitor your level of immunity by checking your antibodies, and that's a lab test. They check your level of antibodies for whatever vaccine you're given, and that'll tell you whether or not you still have immunity and whether or not you need a booster. As far as the ages, what ages you should get certain vaccines, that is determined by, number one, acceptability, and number two, clinical factors. So there are a lot of these um, illnesses that little kids, we know that they are um, very susceptible to. Um, little kids can be um, very susceptible to much more severe side effects from some cer- certain viruses that may not kill adults, that may be, may be life-threatening for little children. And, you know, they're going to be in school, and they're going to be crowded together in small spaces, and these things tend to spread like wildfire in between them. So a lot of the vaccines for children are recommended at young ages for that reason. There are also vaccines that are recommended based on certain clinical characteristics. For example, um, typically the pneumonia vaccine, as people call it, really the pneumococcal vaccine. For the general population, 65 or older, you should get a a pneumococcal vaccine. However, anybody that has sickle cell, so if you're a 20-year-old person that has sickle cell disease or you have had an organ transplant or you have some type of immune system disorder, then there are a lot of vaccines that you should be getting even as a healthy 20-year-old um, because you're at risk for those things, for pneumococcal, pneumococcal infections and, and so forth. So those patients, even at young ages, should be getting vaccines. So it's never everybody this age gets this vaccine and everybody this age gets that vaccine. Sometimes you also have to take into account clinical characteristics and um, illnesses that that patient may have, and uh, they may require certain vaccines at a much younger age or at any age just because they're at higher risk of certain disorders. Okay, so I have been, in in the past few years, I would say transitioning into the senior citizen ages. And the reason I say that is because somebody will determine 59 or 60 is senior and someone else will say 65 and someone else will say 70. So, but anyway, Mm -hmm. whatever the case, I'm getting bugged and hounded about things like uh, getting a single shot, getting a tetanus shot getting a flu uh-huh. shot. And I'm like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not running to you in, in all anxiousness trying to get a, a shot if I don't have to. So mm-hmm. with that being said, why is it that I, I am now being inundated with these questions about you're sure you don't want to get a shot for this, that, and the other? Um, and do, are things like, for example, the flu, um, is that one of those things that you have to get a shot for annually? And if you don't, what are the risks? Let's we'll start with the flu virus. So the thing about the flu vaccine, every year um, there is, they have to sort of predict what the four most common flu viruses will be that will affect, you know, everybody. And so they create the flu vaccine with those predicted um, flu viruses, and that's what the vaccine's made of. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But that's why every year you have to get a flu vaccine because every year the flu is different. The common flu viruses are different, and that's because the flu virus um, really mutates really fast. And so, you know, every few years there's, there's something different, something different, something different. So the vaccine that we had last year will most likely be not effective for the most common variants of the flu virus this year. So, therefore, another flu vaccine. Flu vaccine is really important for for older folks or folks that have multiple other comorbidities, diabetes, COPD, emphysema, those types of things. Because very often um, in those patients, flu can then turn into pneumonia and it can be life-threatening. And um, flu kills tens of thousands and it can be a very severe illness or a very mild illness. But we also know that flu vaccines 
number one, reduces likelihood that you may get the flu. And number two, if you do get the flu, it can drastically reduce the severity of the flu. And so that's why, you know, flu virus is something annual. It's not so much that the uh, protection that you got last year has waned. It's the fact that the flu virus that you're most likely to be infected by this year was not included in the flu virus that you got last year. And the reason that they're hounding you now is because the older you get, the more likely you are to suffer dire consequences from a flu infection that could lead to other consequences, like I said, pneumonia and so forth. So older people and younger people are always the two extremes that are at higher risk for the worst effects from all of these different types of uh, infectious diseases. And that's why most vaccines are recommended for older folks, younger folks. Okay. And now explain to me, I understand there's a link between chicken pox and the shingle virus. Is that true or not? <laughs> Yes. So basically, the same virus that causes chickenpox is also the virus that causes um, the shingles. So basically, when you get chickenpox, the virus then hides in some of the nerve bundles in your spine for the rest of your life. It never goes away. So it's hiding in there, and it's just waiting for a chance to become active and give you a mean case of the shingles. And so what happens is as you get older, your immune system is just not as active. It's not as robust. And if something happens where you happen to have an episode where your immune system gets a little weaker, then those shingle virus, the uh, zoster virus will then become active, and then it will create a case of shingles. So once you get the chicken pox, it never goes, that virus never leaves your body. And so you're, it's harbored, and at some point if it does reactivate, that's what creates a case of the shingles. And the shingles virus, I mean, excuse me, the shingles vaccine reduces that risk drastically. Um, it's more than 90% effective if you have, I think it's two shots that you need for the shingles vaccine. I think that, that's recommended at, um, at the age of 50 and above. And almost so, everyone, almost everyone in the U.S. has been affected by, um, by the chickenpox virus, uh, you know, and probably about you know, 40 to 50% of people, probably more, in fact, would uh, contract shingles at some point in their life if they don't get the vaccine. Is shingles contagious? Like, you know, if, let's say, a spouse has had it, um, is the other spouse likely to get it? No. No. Because Really? Okay. Once you, because the thing about shingles well, I guess we probably should talk a little bit about real quick about what shingles is, how it manifests. And um, basically, when you have shingles, shingles is obvious because, number one, you tend to get what we call paresthesias or pain first in an area, and it's typically only on one side of the body. So it could be in the ribs, it could be on the face, it could be in the scalp, but it doesn't cross the midline of the body. So you get these funny feelings, tingles, shocks, numbness, pain, and then a few days later, this rash pops up. And what you'll notice is the rash never crosses the midline of the body, and that's one of the ways when your doctor sees it, they'll recognize right away that it's shingles because it'll stop right at the midline. So if it's on your face, it'll cover half your face and never cross the midline of your nose or the, your eyes or so forth. And so it's pretty easy to recognize when a patient presents with shingles. And um, But shingles is not, uh, it's not contagious. Because the virus is there, the virus has just reactivated itself. And, um, but it, no, it's not contagious. Good to know. Um, glad I'm asking these questions. Glad you're able to answer them. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We are here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. We are talking about, uh, well, I was, at the beginning was talking about vaccines and immunizations and trying to get some clarification, especially um, a lot of the kids are, you know, going back to school, but also we got, you know, flu season that's going to come up eventually. And then people are traveling too. So, um, I mean, it applies to kind of almost everybody. So, you know, if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. Jeeves Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. 
we let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Blessed to have Dr. Taiwan Tillman on with us to answer questions about vaccines, immunizations, and other good stuff. If you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. So, ah, goodness gracious, I'm trying to figure out which direction I want to go in now. But what I want to ask, I guess, about, because we are still heavily into, even though some some uh, families are, you know, back into the school mode, some are still in vacation mode, and some of that requires uh, getting uh, immunized, I guess, or uh, getting a vaccine before going to various places, whether it's for disease or, or I guess, um, insects, like mosquitoes or whatever the case may be. Uh, we still we have to do some of that even here, though, too, depending on where you're going, uh, whether you, you are susceptible, I guess, to mosquito-borne illnesses or, or whatever, encephalitis, all that type of stuff. Um, and what you can do, you know, we want to know what you can do about some things and what you can't do, and you just have to prepare the best way you can. So why is it that um, we prepare to go overseas, we get our passport, we get our tickets, you know, we get our we used to get traveler's checks. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, <laughs> we, we prepare, you know, make hotel reservations and all this kind of stuff. But we really don't think about getting the vaccines. Um why why is that and what kind of difficulty can that pose? Well, one of the things about vaccines is when you get vaccinated, you're not immune immediately. And so when you get a vaccine, you receive the vaccine, and a lot of times you'll have people who have certain symptoms. The most common symptoms that you see from vaccines are low-grade fever, chills, sometimes body aches, and those symptoms are not, a lot of people will think that those symptoms, you get a flu vaccine or COVID vaccine, you have those side effects. Those side effects are actually from your immune system revving up. Those are the same symptoms that you would get if you actually got a flu infection or a viral infection. It's because that's your immune system revving up. Um, viruses, cold viruses, and flu viruses, they tend to like lower temperatures. The reason that your body creates this, part of the reason your body creates this fever is that fever, you know, they don't survive as well under higher temperatures, so, so it helps to sort of kill some of the virus. And, you know, sometimes when people are sick, they'll say they, you know, went to bed, they had a fever, and they sweated the virus out. Well, sometimes that's because your body is creating this really strong immune response, and you're sweating, and your temperature's high, and you're shivering, and all those things are basically your body fighting the virus, and sometimes your body wins, and next day you wake up, you feel fine, because you won, your body defeated the virus. And so, the you know, those Symptoms is basically your immune system revving up and creating antibodies. Thing a lot of times there are people during the COVID pandemic that would get a virus and then a week later they would test positive for COVID and have a full blown you know episode of COVID, and you know people would then say I got the vaccine and the vaccine gave me COVID. Well, more than likely you got the vaccine and you're exposed to COVID either shortly after you got the vaccine or just before you got the vaccine and you develop the infection before you develop the immunity that the vaccine is supposed to provide. So if you're going on a trip and you are going to get a vaccine somewhere that, where you may need to be vaccinated for something, you have to plan well ahead and you have to get vaccinated well ahead in order to have any significant immunity for, you know, what you may be trying to get vaccinated to. And a lot of times, you know, if you're, going places where you need to be vaccinated, your doctor can help you with that. You tell your doctor where you're going and your doctor can tell you 
what exactly what you may be at risk for in that particular location, if there, and then if there are vaccines that you may need or medications that you may want to take with you, your doctor can help you with that. Specialize in what's called tropical medicine, and they, you know, can help you do those specific things. But it's different, you know, it's obviously different for a lot of different places depending on where you're going and how long you'll be there and what you may be doing while you're there. You know, if you're going to be going somewhere in South America and um, or Africa and you're just going to be in the city, your risk is different as opposed to going somewhere and going out in the jungle or going, you know, on a safari or somewhere else. So it just depends also where you're, you know, where you're going to be on, on your particular trip. So I guess one of my questions is, does insurance cover those type of uh, vaccinations? Because I, I want, I guess my, I, I, you can tell I haven't traveled out, outside the country in a while, um, but I guess what I'm curious about is maybe people are reluctant to get the vaccines because maybe insurance is not covering it. In those cases, in those cases, um, most insurance companies will cover it. Okay. And uh, if if uh, it's a document by your doctor, and even the insurance, even the vaccines that you may get at Walgreens or CVS, most of the time, um, insurance companies will cover that as well. Mm-hmm. And so they tend not to be very expensive. No, I was just curious because you know traveling is like you know traveling overseas unless it's business, it's kind of an option. So you know, I mean, sometimes you have right. trouble just getting insurance to cover basic stuff. So that's why I was right. curious about that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so. I think in most of those cases your doctor probably would not necessarily wouldn't it, when it gets billed to your insurance company, all the all they're gonna see is the request for the vac- vaccination. They won't typically won't go the length of looking at the doctor's note to try and figure out exactly why you were getting it. Okay. All right. So now uh, I guess the question is, um, uh, there's been this debate on if you've had COVID um, it, that, you know, it provides some sort of immunity, and, and I guess the research is still being done. But is there any possibility that that does happen, that once you've gotten COVID or some other disease, it, pro- it provides some sort of protection? Well, yes and no. So COVID, if you'll remember, as we went through the whole pandemic, mm-hmm. there was different strains of COVID that kept arising, some that were very virulent. Um, and and then as we got towards the end, some infections were much milder and even asymptomatic. And uh, so those are different strains of COVID itself. And COVID viruses have been around for a long time. It was always considered just one of the common cold viruses. It was never an infection that we ever got concerned about it very much, you know. We just recognized it as a virus that was very common, and it was, you know, there's five or six viruses that we consider common cold. It was just a common cold, a variant of the common cold, until this particular COVID variant comes up, and it's, um, you know, <laughs> what it was. And so mm-hmm. it's it's um, the fact that if you do get COVID and you have a specific strain, you will have immunity from that. How long it lasts varies, depends on how bad your infection was. A lot of the patients that had asymptomatic COVID infections, their antibody titers are lower than patients that had full-blown COVID infections. Um, Also, some of the patients that had those asymptomatic infections, they don't have the same level, level of immunity that the patients that got vaccines would have. But the patients that had full-blown infections have longer term immunity than patients that got vaccines, at least on average. And then, you know, and you'll also remember that you you would get the vaccine and then there was all these, there were boosters. And uh, once again, these were not live virus vaccines. So if you get, if you you actually get the infection, that's basically the same as getting a live virus vaccine, right? Because you're exposed to the live virus as opposed to the COVID vaccinations, um, the most common one that people were getting were the mRNA um, COVID vaccines, which, you know, that's the one that people were saying was altering your DNA and so forth and so forth, although it really wasn't. But um, that, we talked earlier about some types of vaccines will give you lifelong immunity. 
Some give you more short-term immunity. Well, these mRNA vaccines were relatively short-term immunity. Combine that with the fact that COVID was rapidly changing, you know, in six months, nine months, a year to different strains. That's why there were multiple vaccines and they kept creating new vaccines every, you know, seemingly every six to nine months. Okay. So... <laughs> so we we spent that last half hour on this. I'm sure we can probably spend more. And if you have questions, you know, feel free to call five one six three eight seven one nine four four. But is there any that I should have asked or that I missed that's really important that you want everybody to know before we go to break? I think real quick, probably for adults, what vaccines, which vaccines are relevant for adults? You had mentioned some of them that. Um, you know, they've been hounding you about as you've gotten a little older. And the ones that are that are important, particularly as we start to get older, a flu vaccine is important. We mentioned that. Um, we mentioned the shingles vaccine, and we talked a little bit about the pneumonia or pneumococcal vaccine. Shingles, 50 and older. Um, pneumococcal vaccine, 65 and older. Flu vaccine, basically everybody should probably get a flu vaccine, particularly if you're higher risk. If you're a smoker or anything like that, definitely. But on average, if you're around other people during flu season and you want to protect yourself, don't want to miss days of work, flu vaccine is important. Um, there are some boosters. You talked about tetanus. Um, if you haven't had it, um, 10 years, booster. Um, there is a hepatitis vaccine, hep- hepatitis B to be specific. Everybody doesn't need that one, but if you are a, say you work in a prison or you're a medical, you work in the medical field or so forth, most of the time, you're going to be required to have a hepatitis B vaccine. And what else is there? Um, the other vaccine, this is for younger folks, um, teen and, and uh, young adults, um, the HPV vaccine. HPV um, is a virus that can, in the long term, lead to certain types of cancer. And so that's a vaccine mm-hmm. that's also available I think between the ages of 16 and 25 or something like that. But that's for for younger folks for a virus that's very commonly spread through sexual contact. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen a lot of commercials lately for RSV. (laughs) Yes. So RSV was always considered a viral infection that's dangerous for, for little kids or infants and could be life-threatening for infants, a respiratory syncytial virus. And over the past few years, we've been seeing a lot more RSV in adults and um, older patients. It was always something that, you know, anybody could get, but it just wasn't very common. It was just always the most common in little kids and toddlers and infants. But mm-hmm. we've been seeing a lot more of it in adults and elderly over the past few years. And, you know, viruses don't tend to they put they're always up to new things and changing and mutating and trying to figure out more ways to get us sick yeah yeah and then i understand that, that and i'm not going to go into we can talk more about this another time but um we've seen some of the um older ones from you know i guess decades back uh seem to be rearing Small their ugly head a little bit yes so. And, you know, that's that's why immunity to a large percent of the – I mean, vaccinations and immunity for large swaths of the population is very important. There are people that, you know, will be allergic to certain vaccines and can't get them for whatever reason. But mm-hmm. if there's only a few of those, it's not a big deal. The problem is when you have large numbers of people, for example, in like they were in California deciding – not to get a smallpox vaccine, all of a sudden a disease has, that has been effectively eradicated in the United States, you start to see little bits of a papa polio, right. same thing, you know. And so that's why it's important that, you know, everybody stays on top of vaccinations and people, only people that absolutely can't have them or that, you know, some people have religious exemptions, but those numbers are few and far between. So as long as you're getting most of the population vaccinated, you can keep these uh, really – contagious and virulent strands of viruses basically eliminated from our population. Okay. If you don't, they start to pop up. Yep. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about these, uh, a little bit about these clinics that 
you see popping up all over the place. So um, if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. Jeez Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs, dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garris, and I think I found a way to help you understand what is Chill Out Jazz. Some of y'all may be Jazz. It is what it is. Is it R&D? Tune in every Wednesday night at 10 on K-Ham Radio. Hey, hey, good Friday afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. And if you have any questions, the number is 516-387-1944. So... I, I I asked you a little bit, and you can comment as little or as much as you want about it. But I, you know, I'm seeing now these more of these clinics that are popping up, you know, on the corner, like at your neighborhood Walgreens or um, CVS. Those are the two popular ones in in our area. But then also Walmart as well. And so I wanted to ask about these clinics popping up. What you know? What is? Why is this? What do you believe this trend is about? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Are they safe, in your opinion? I think it's it's about several different things. Um, let's look at it from the side of the pharmacies. They're always trying to think of new ways to um, drive income, new ways to increase foot traffic in their stores. And one of the ways of doing that is to just get people to come to your store. And if someone comes for a vaccine, chances are as they're coming in or out, they're going to stop and buy a few things and maybe maybe more likely fill their prescriptions there and so forth and so forth. So um, for the the, uh, pharmacies, you know, it's a money-making opportunity for them. Um, The other part of it is when you look at the scope of practice for pharmacists and for mid-level practitioners like nurse practitioners and physician's assistants um, in certain states and certain cities where they have shortages of doctors, they are extending the scope of practice of uh, some of these other practitioners so that they can work independently in a clinic at Walgreens or CVS, for example. They can do things like order a test for even the pharmacist can, you know, order a test for a urinary tract infection and then write a prescription based on those those results. Um, they can do a flu test and then order a prescription based on those results without having to see a physician. Um, same thing with nurse practitioners. So you can go there um, for cheaper than you can see a doctor, more accessible than than seeing a doctor, get your flu test done, get your strep test done, get your prescription all in the same place, one visit out the door. And so it it can be more convenient for patients as well. And so there's benefit uh, for patients, um, there's benefit for the pharmacy, and also benefit for the practitioners that are working there. So there's a little bit of financial incentive for the pharmacies, but overall I think it does sort of streamline um, diagnosis and treatment for uh, patients for some of these simple illnesses that maybe people otherwise wouldn't even seek medical care for just because of the hassle. And a lot of times the cash price isn't very expensive and they also take insurance. So it's accessible, inexpensive, and um, sometimes works out pretty good for a lot of people. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing in most cases. The problem is it's not everybody. And if there's something more complex than just you know, a flu infection. Sometimes you may have the flu virus, but 
you may have something else ongoing as well. And so you go and you get your get seen, you get something for your flu infection, but then the other problem goes untreated and, you know, three days later it continues to get worse and there is no way to completely evaluate that when you were seen in a Walgreens clinic. So it's probably best for patients that have that are otherwise healthy, don't have other medical comorbidities, and it's really and truly just a simple in and out type of situation. If you're really sick, you probably should be seen by your doctor or at an actual medical clinic, not one of those quick little clinics at Walgreens or CVS or Walmart. Okay. But let's say even if you go, um, I was just curious. Now, and, you know, they treat something, but uh, they suspect it, it might be more serious. Is it easier, let's say, if something gets is suspected on, on the clinic level and you need to go to a, a bigger facility, uh, like, you know, go to a hospital or something like that, is it easier because it's been um, kind of, pre-diagnosed, I'll say, at the clinic? Is it easier to get into a hospital? Because sometimes, you know, we go to a hospital, we go to an emergency room, we can sit there for the whole day and part of the night before we see somebody and, and still, you know, there's an issue. So I guess I'm wanting to know, is it uh, beneficial maybe if there's something and you, you're not, I mean, you may not know that it's serious, but you go to the clinic and they say, well, you know, you should probably go ahead and go to the hospital. Is it easier to get in that way because it's been already, uh, I guess, you know, I, like I said, I'm maybe using the wrong ter- terminology when mm-hmm. I'm saying diagnosed, but if it's already well, kind of be, being predetermined that it might be more, am- is it easier to get in? No. In most cases, no. I would say unless you present at one of those little places and you are ill and they call 911 and you're transported by EMS, then that will get you in faster. But if you go there and, you know, they send you across the street or down the street to the actual hospital and you go to the emergency room, your weight's going to be the same. Um, They will certainly take into account that, uh, you know, you had a – strep test and your strep was positive, but they're going to do all the things that they would do otherwise, whether you came in with that or not. And they're also probably going to repeat the strep test as well. Because um, a lot of times they're they're using rapid tests and sometimes rapid tests will, they're sort of designed to give you more false positives, but not to miss anything. They're sort of like a screening test. And so they're probably going to do a more, a more specific test when you present to a hospital emergency room, not going to uh, streamline your visit to a more to a higher level of care that's opposed to going to a lot of the you know there's also a lot of um, the the standalone ER places now some of them mm-hmm. will say emergency rooms some of them will be um, you know just a an outpatient an outpatient clinic but those places a lot of those places will have relationships with the emergency rooms that are nearby so if they do get something they can't handle because things will walk in, you know, because it says emergency room, people will walk in there all the time having strokes or heart attacks or something severe, and they tend to already have a relationship with uh, emergency rooms nearby and are often owned by hospitals nearby. And so a lot of times they will call the emergency room and tell them, I have a patient over here that has so-and-so, and we're sending them over to you. Can you get them back as soon as possible? And that will be a little different because they've already been seen by a physician and triaged, and those will get you in faster, but that's a completely different level of care than what you would get at a pharmacy. Okay. So we're going to uh, go ahead and take our next break because when we come back, we want to talk a little bit more about, I guess, getting the best benefit of – you know, going to the the doctor's office. We're going to talk about that. The number is 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs, owner and funeral director at Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community with two generations of family funeral service. With the recent addition of my son, Brandon, we are here to take care of the needs of Central and West Orlando. From simple cremation to a full burial, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here to help you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs. 
dedicated to serving our families. Hi, I'm Tim Garrison. Uh, you may know me as Timmy G. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been two decades, but I want you to know I'm back in the argument. And I've got a mix of music that can help you relax and chill out. It's smooth. It's relaxing. It's chill out jazz. The soulful mix of smooth jazz, soul, and smooth R&B. So join me every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight on KHAM Radio. Are you chilling? Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. Next week, busy week, make sure you join us. We have uh, Chef George Ashford who, from CBB Show is going to be on on Wednesday, Thursday, Tech Thursday with Burton Kelso, Friday, Friday in the Garden with Robert Bowden, and we've got other stuff coming up. <laughs> So uh, just just a busy week, but, you know, hopefully you'll be packed full of information. Just remember also, you missed the show. You can go back in on, on um, Blog Talk Radio, um, NHISD Entertainment, and look up the link. Just, you know, the dates are, are different, so one link doesn't necessarily cover all, but they're similar. So uh, you can go back in and even listen to this show, which I think has a lot of information today. We're here with Dr. Taiwan Tillman. And so uh, I know you had something specific that you wanted to kind of address in terms of how patients, I guess, can best benefit um, when they go to the doctor. Yes. And basically what I wanted to talk a little bit about was when patients go in for their annual doctor's appointment or a specialist appointment, how do you as a patient, make sure you get the best service possible from your doctor. That visit is no different from any other customer service type visit where you're a customer, your doctor's providing a service, and you want to be able to get the best service possible. You're an individual patient and you're focused on your individual needs. Your doctor for that moment is focused on you as well, but your doctor probably has hundreds if not thousands of other patients that they also have to tend to. So it's partly your responsibility as a patient to make sure that you get everything you need out of your appointment and that you hold your doctor accountable. And so what are some of the things that, as a patient, you can do to make sure that you're getting that? You know, there's some patients that will come to the doctor's office. They won't ask any questions. They won't volunteer any information. Every little thing you have to get out of them is like pulling teeth. And you only have a limited amount of time to get in and out for that visit. And so it makes it difficult to, you know, to take care of patients like that because they end up taking more time, you end up getting less done, and very often you have to move on to the next patient. So here's yeah, a list that, of that's things called a husband. Do. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and I know, I know in one of our other uh, visits, we had, you had talked about going in to visit with, to a, an appointment with your husband and how things are when you're not with him versus when you are with him, the kind of information that the doctor gets when you're with him versus, you know, when you're not there, half the things that you tell him, you tell the doctor, he never would have even mentioned, right? Yeah. And so yeah. those he's are, those are the things that he's getting better. He's getting a little better. <laughs> and a lot of times it's just that patients – don't want to be in the doctor's office. They're afraid that any complaint they have is going to turn into a big issue and that they may end up having a problem that they could have just ignored and didn't have to worry about, although that's not the right approach. So let's talk about some of those things. I think probably one of the most important things is to make sure that you're prepared for your office visit. And what does that mean? It means coming in and making sure that you know what your medications are. So either bring your medications, bring all the bottles, the physical bottles themselves. You can bring some patients have gotten wise enough where they take photos of all their medications, so they have those in their phone. Some patients keep a, an active list of all their medications that's very detailed. Some patients will keep the pharmacy printouts, the papers from the pharmacy that come on the front of the bag, they'll have those. Either way, um, be exact on what medications that you're taking because if you come in and your doctor asks you what medications you're taking and then you have 
pretend we're treating high blood pressure. Your blood pressure is not quite where it should be. Your doctor asks you, what are you taking for your medications? Well, I think I'm taking this, I think I'm taking that, but I'm not sure. Your doctor mm. is unable to make any adjustments because they don't know what you're taking for your current blood pressure. And so then they can't tell you what to increase, what to decrease, nor can they add anything in addition. So you basically waste an entire appointment because you weren't prepared and because your doctor wasn't aware of what you were taking. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's very important to come prepared in that way. The next thing that you want to do to come prepared is to make sure that if you have questions or you have problems or issues, make sure you know what they are. It's probably most efficient to have a written list. Write them down so that you don't forget anything, so that you don't miss anything. If I had a dollar for every time I spent, you know, an entire appointment uh, linked with a patient and then on the way out the door, they stand and say, oh, wait a minute. And then they come back and sit down again because they forgot something. And so yeah. it's important to have all those things written down or know for sure exactly the questions or issues that you want to address during your appointment. And so that all comes with being prepared. And the other thing part about being prepared is actually being on time because doctor's offices, yes, there's always the complaints that doctors are running late. The reason doctors are running late is because a patient slotted for 15 minutes they want 20 minutes, and that's not unusual, and we try and always accommodate that. You don't want to rush anybody out the door, especially if they have issues that really need to be addressed. So two minutes here, one minute there, three minutes there, you got 15 patients in, you know, a three-hour slot. All of a sudden, you find yourself behind 30 minutes. But, you know, you want to be able to give patients that time. So if you're there on time, it just makes things run, run a lot smoother, even though you may have to wait a little bit if things do get a little bit behind. The other thing I will say, too, when you were mentioning the medications, sometimes your dosages change, so just make sure that you you are staying on top of that, too. Because, um, you know, when I, it, because it, when you go to different doctors, they don't necessarily confer with the other doctors. You know, exactly. my thyroid, uh, you know, my thyroid dosage changed. And so they're right. like, are you still taking that? And I'm like, no, I haven't done that in, you know, God knows how long. You know, you, so stay on top of it. And, you know, it, you can pretty much probably keep a list in your phone. And then when they start asking you questions, are you still taking X, Y, and Z, you know, keep an updated list in your phone and just hand them the phone so that they can run down the list and say, okay, <laughs> right. that's my thought. And that's why, so. and that's why we, in my office, we, we request that patients actually bring the bottles in. Because sometimes, really? you know, yes, because okay. that way they're bringing out of everything they take every day, you're putting it in your bag and you're bringing it. And that way sometimes you'll find out, find out patients have duplicate medications. You'll find out patients are missing medications. Um, you know, if you're wondering whether or not patients are taking medications, you can look in and see how many are in the bottle. Um, and if you change doses, I keep a marker um, at every desk, and that way, if you need to change doses, say somebody's taking a pill that's 50 milligrams, you need to double it to 100, you can write on there, take two tabs daily. Or if there's something you want them to stop, you take that bottle and you write stop on the bottle and stop on the cap. So they didn't know, they didn't know exactly what you're stopping or what you're changing because what you tell them in the office many times, you know, they're big words, they're two names, a generic name, a brand name, and they have mm-hmm. 15 other medications, so they may forget it. So a lot of times I will write things physically on the bottle to make sure that they understand exactly what we're doing and I'll also write it on a on a notepad for them and give that to them. That way you have a double backup. Gosh, Doc, I was trying not to take all those bottles in there. <laughs> but I get it. I get it. Okay, I'm not arguing with the Doc. Listen to what he said. <laughs> That's what he went to school for. Okay, <laughs> so... What you have to understand, anyway. my patients tend to be older and they tend to have like multiple medical problems, so 10, 15, 20 meds is not unusual, as opposed to people right. like you that probably have for, you know, just a few meds or just some vitamins and so forth. You don't necessarily have to bring them in much easier to keep track of, but it's hard when you're taking, you know, 15 meds a day and some of them two, three, four times a day. Yeah, it is. It is. And then, too, you know, even if you're doing the supplements, you need to be accurate about those supplements, too. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a big difference. Like, uh, right now, I'm I'm on D3, 5 IUs, um, five, mm-hmm. excuse me, 5,000 IUs a day, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I'm very D deficient. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I mean, but, and you got to be very careful because 
when you're going to purchase those um, supplements too, they've gotten, you know, some for 2,000 IUs and some for 5,000 IUs. And, and, you know, you can't just grab a D3 and say, yeah, I'm taking D3. Are you taking the right, you know, dosage? That's important. Right. And so the next thing, um, afraid to ask questions, I think there's been sort of a change in the way doctors and patients interact. And I think part of that has been because of the Internet. And there's so much, there's knowledge is so easily accessible nowadays. And uh, mm-hmm. it's enough knowledge that you can know what questions to ask, but it's also enough knowledge that can make people make bad decisions sometimes. But I think right. um, it's, it's extremely important that you ask the questions that you have because a lot of times, people don't ask questions and leave out of the doctor's office confused and not understanding exactly what the doctor meant or what the intentions were or what the goals are for the next visit. And so um, questions are important. And I was talking about the sort of a different culture. It used to be that patients would come in and doctors would basically tell the patients what to do. The patients had no input, no interaction, no questions. They just expected, you know, this is what you have, this is what you do, don't ask me any questions, and I'll see you in X amount of time. Whereas now patients, most patients want a much more active role, particularly younger patients, want a much Mm -hmm. more active and collaborative role with their physicians. So they will bring in things that they read. They'll bring in things that they printed out that they'll ask questions about. They'll ask you, you know, why we're doing this or why can't we do this? Or now you see all these uh, medical companies are putting their drugs on TV and advertising directly to patients where it used to be advertisements are only being medical journals and directed towards physicians, but now they're skipping the physicians and going to patients. So now we have patients coming and asking us, why are you treating me with this? Why did you give me this? I saw this on TV and does this work better? Mm-hmm. And does so that it, aggravate, it created a new Does dynamic. that aggravate doctors? I guess I, that's my concern is that I'm about to aggravate my doctor really badly because I'm going right. to ask all these questions. But my thing is, I'm paying my money. Uh, you know, this is my insurance. This is my body. Right. You know, right. I need to know. Approach is, you're a consumer, and you should get the services that you're paying for. And you should not be afraid of your doctor. You should not be afraid to ask questions of your doctor. You should not be worried that your doctor is going to get upset because you're seeking clarification about things that you're going to be putting in your body or treatments that you're going to be doing to your body. And if you have a physician that and and not everybody's like that. I do have some patients that they'll ask me something and I'll, they'll ask me what they should do, and I'll tell them my job is to inform you and give you my opinion, but I can't tell you what you should do or what you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, some patients and some patients will prefer that. And then there are other patients that if you try and you know that don't get along well with doctors that don't want to have those discussions. So sometimes it's about personal fit. But in general, mm-hmm. most doctors, particularly nowadays, are more than willing to discuss those things. If you have questions that you bring in, you have um, questions about what we're doing, you're wondering why we're doing it. By and large, most of us are very attuned to um, interacting with patients like that, and, and it's sort of what we expect at this point because, you know, you have your Dr. Smith and then you also have your Dr. Google and Dr. Google tells you one thing, and you can sort of come in and ask Dr. Smith about what Dr. Google said, and then Dr. Smith can tell you why that's right or wrong and why your personal research that you did is completely off base. Okay. But, uh, but, but I, and I, the thing, I think the most important thing there, the most important point there, is you need a doctor that fits your personal style. And uh, if that's a doctor that, wants you to ask a lot of questions and really wants to have a collaborative um, relationship with you, and that's what you want, perfect. If you want a doctor that's going to tell you what to do and doesn't want you to ask any questions and that works for you, then fine. But you just have, you just have to figure out what works best for you. But a lot of times if you're not having that back and forth and you're not able to ask questions, you don't feel comfortable asking questions, things get missed and your medical care is not going to be as complete and thorough as it should be. Dr. Tillman, we are so out of time. <laughs> I'm tempted to bring you back on before next month, but thank you for what you've given us this month. We really appreciate it. You have a blessed weekend. Thank you. You have a wonderful weekend as well. 
Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Remember, this month is Black Business Month. Support your local black businesses. And, you know, come back on Monday. This has been G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good. Entertainment. Be well. Be safe. Be blessed. Football tonight. I think the Bucks are playing. Just remember, all real power comes from God. Take care. Be well.